It seems like forever, when I've been preaching in the winter, I constantly am watching the weather reports. Uh, and uh, this week, right from the very beginning of the week, they've been calling for a snowstorm today, and typically they're wrong, and it's either early or late. So, so far, it's late, I think. Um, I've been watching it to the hour, and I thought I would get up this morning, and there would be snow starting to fly. So there isn't. So maybe that is a sign that I can go long. No, okay, I won't. I'm going to try to make sure that we get out in half decent time, because I do believe that uh, the storm is approaching. Uh, But it's good to see a good number of you out this morning. Not too many chickened out, and uh, uh, you came anyways. And so my prayer is that God would bless you for your diligence. Uh, Have you ever longed for something, wanted something, desired something for so long that it just seemed like it was never going to happen. You waited for a response. Maybe it was for a school application, uh, a job application. Maybe it was to hear about a promotion at work. Um, Maybe it was for an invitation to a special outing uh, or a call from that someone special. But just seems to take so long. And isn't it true, the longer it takes, the less likely we are to believe that it will possibly happen. You see, silence leads to doubt. But how about when the other person on the end of silence of our hopes and desires is God? Have you ever prayed for something and received only silence in return? You see, silence leads to doubt. We have prayed to God for something and then waited. And then we've prayed some more and we've, we've waited more. And we've prayed again and we continue to wait And all we get on the other end, it seems, is silence. And we start to wonder, is is God even there? Is he listening? Does he even care? You see, silence leads to doubt. And I would imagine that in the days before Jesus was born, there was doubt in the air. It had been 400 years years since God's people had heard anything from God. No messenger, no prophet, no word, only silence. As a result, for many of God's people, it seemed like the distance between earth and heaven was insurmountable. Some of God's people held out hope. A lot of them were just lost in routine and ritual. And many had given up hope on God and had forgotten his promises. King Herod had built idols. Immorality was running rampant. The spiritual life of most of God's people had lost its vitality. 400 years. No prophet. The last prophet was Malachi in the 4th century B.C., And at the very end of Malachi's prophecy, he spoke of another prophet that was to come. 
in the spirit of Elijah who would turn uh, the, the, the parents' uh, faces towards their children. And yet four centuries have come and gone. No prophet. No word from God. Only silence. 400 years. 400 years, that's a long time. Like, think of 400 years. That's, that's longer than Canada has been around. That's longer than the United States of America has been around. 400 years. That's about five times older, probably, than the oldest person that you know. Maybe four and a half. But 400 years is a long time for there to be silence. This month, we are going to be doing a Christmas series where we're looking at the first couple of chapters of Luke. And as we come into Luke, and turn if you've got your Bible there, grab a pew Bible, uh, and turn to Luke chapter 1. But as we enter into Luke's gospel, after 400 years of silence, the silence is about to be broken. For an angel is going to suddenly appear to an old priest. Let's look at that account in Luke 1, and I'm just going to read verse 5 through to 17 to begin. Luke 1, and what's the page on the Pew Bible? 830. Page 830. In the time of King Herod, King of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and though disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." And so the silence was finally going to be broken. An angel, Gabriel, appears to an old priest named Zechariah and tells Zechariah that despite the old age of him and his wife, despite the fact that Zechariah's wife Elizabeth was barren, 
they were going to have a son. And they were going to call him John, which means that the Lord is gracious. And this son, John, was going to tell of another son, God's son, who had come to redeem people from their sins. You see, this son, John, was going to come and he was going to prepare people. He was going to explain to people the meaning of Christmas. That very first Christmas. Now, as we've read this account so far, it's kind of unfamiliar with us, uh, to us. And, and so I think it's probably a good thing to set the scene a little bit. Zechariah is a priest. He's one of about 20,000 priests. And two weeks out of every year, his division of priests would be called to go to Jerusalem to perform priestly responsibilities. But this time is going to be special. Because as we read, Zechariah's name is chosen by Lot. And Zechariah was going to be the one who got to go into the holy place and to burn incense and to intercede for the people. And this would only happen once because once Zechariah's name has been chosen. His name is wiped off the list. And he'd never get this privilege again. And it was a privilege. But it also was a huge responsibility. Because Zechariah was burning incense and interceding for the people. But while he was doing that, outside of the temple, there was a crowd of worshipers who were, who were worshiping God. And they were waiting for Zechariah to come out. They were waiting to hear if Zechariah had received a word from the Lord. And they were waiting to receive the ironic uh, blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Great responsibility that was on Zechariah's shoulders. And he didn't want to screw up. This was his This was his pinnacle moment in his ministry. He wanted everything to go right. He didn't want to make a mistake. He wanted to come out and hopefully say something profound. And so we got Zechariah, this this old priest, burning incense and, and praying. When all of a sudden... Gabriel appears. And the text tells us that the Zechariah was gripped with fear. He wasn't expecting this. What does this angel want? And the angel tells Zechariah, Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a son. And this son, whom you're going to name John, he is going to be a great prophet. In fact, he is going to be and come in the spirit of Elijah. He is going to be the great prophet that Malachi spoke of 400 years ago. You know, I've done many Christmas sermons. Over probably 30 years, I don't know how many times I've preached on Christmas. And I realized this week, I have never spoken 
about Zechariah. Usually there's not enough Sundays in December to cover everyone. And so you kind of cover the main characters, looking at things from different angles. And for me anyways, Zechariah always, gets to seem, uh, always seems to get left out. And in a way, it kind of makes sense. He kind of appears at the beginning of the story. And, and you know, he's, he's the father of John. He's not the father of Jesus. And he, he's an old priest. And, and, and if you understand where he comes from, he, he kind of comes from out in the country, in the hill country. Uh, kind of like a hillbilly preacher is what Zechariah would be. And, and so I guess it kind of makes sense that for me, I would just kind of put him to the side and, and kind of, Ignore him. I don't really have anything in common with him. And yet the more I've spent in Luke chapter 1 and reading his account this past week, I realized we all have a lot in common with Zechariah. And so as we look at this account, I I just want to take a few moments and to, to show you the things that I think we have in common with Zechariah. And if you look back at your Bible, look in verse 6. First thing we learn about Zechariah and his wife is that they were devout. It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Zechariah was devout. He wasn't perfect, but he was Pious, in the the best sense of that word. He was committed to his faith. He adhered to the moral and ethical uh, commands and instructions of his faith. He was dutiful. And you know, despite the tough messages we've been hearing at Auburn lately, 1 Peter, Colossians, studying 1 John in our care groups, kind of taking a little bit of a pounding from from those books, But despite that, I really believe that if Luke was here and he was writing about a a lot of you from Auburn, he would use the same word. That many of those who go to Auburn are devout. They're committed to their faith. They serve diligently. They give to the needy. They care for the poor. They live their life as best as they can with integrity. You're devout. But unfortunately, being committed to the Lord and being devout doesn't spare us from suffering and life's problems. And maybe we think it should. I think we think that if if we're devout and we're committed and we adhere to the things that we're supposed to do and we don't do the things that we're not supposed to do, that we should enjoy good health. And we should never lack what we need. We should never experience tragedy. Yet if we just look around us, we know that isn't true. And it wasn't true in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life either. Life for them had been hard. You see, what we have in common with Zechariah is that Zechariah was devout, but he was also disappointed. And if you look at the next verse, verse 7, it says, But they were childless. 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't able to have children. First of all, they were were just too old. But Elizabeth was barren. And in those days, to be childless was considered a curse. And every good Jewish husband and wife dreamed that the promised Messiah would come through them. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were out of the loop. And their, their unfulfilled desires really led to their, their unspoken despair. You see, Zechariah was devout, but he was disappointed. And I think we all know of some couple. And maybe, maybe it's your own story who struggled in the area of, of infertility. Month after month, year after year, praying that God would grant you or those you know a child. And you pray and you wait and you try and you pray and you wait and you try and nothing happens. Only silence. Well, not really nothing happens. Something happens. People around you have children. Those who don't even believe in God have children. Those who say, I only have to look at my wife and she gets pregnant have children. Those who complain that they didn't want any more children have children. People out of wedlock who don't want children have children. And yet for you, nothing. Only silence. Only disappointment. And and that's not the only disappointment in life that we pray to God for and, and only hear silence. We pray that that God would give us health in the midst of sickness or, or employment in the midst of unemployment or, or companionship in the midst of loneliness or that the prodigal would come home. And yet we pray and we pray and we wait and we wait and nothing. Just Disappointment. I've been part of a care group for the last 10 years, I think, and most of the people 10 years ago that are in our care group today have been there throughout that time. I've heard the same prayer requests over and over and over, and still silence. I see the tears of disappointment. And what do we do with that disappointment? What do you do when you pray to God and he's silent? He doesn't seem to be hearing you. You don't know if he's even listening. You, you question whether he even cares. You're not even sure if he's there anymore. What should our response be when we've come to the conclusion that we have prayed this prayer and we've given God this petition long enough? If truth be told, if what is true concerning what I said at the very beginning of the message, that silence leads to doubt. My guess is that there are some devout people here and you're experiencing disappointment 
And it's caused you to doubt. What about Zechariah? Look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Your translation might say, how can I know that this is true? Eugene Peterson in in the message, I think he really captures the spirit of skepticism and doubt in his paraphrase. He says, do you really expect me to believe this? And I'm guessing that Gabriel, the angel, expected that Zechariah would believe it because he was speaking the word of God to Zechariah. Zechariah wasn't on the same page. We see in his response, his, his conclusion, that it's just not possible for him and his wife to have a child. Old people don't have babies. Young people do. How could Gabriel expect Zechariah to believe something that was so preposterous? You see, Zechariah was devout, but he was disappointed. And before Gabriel had come on the scene, Zechariah was disbelieving. He was filled with doubt. He wasn't ready to believe what the angel had to say to him. I am sure that the hurt that Zechariah and Elizabeth had experienced over this area of fertility had, had left Zechariah unable to trust God in that area of his life. He could not conceive how his wife could conceive. And when he should have been celebrating, we find Zechariah, this old devout priest, disappointed in life, disbelieving and filled with doubt. If you look back at verse 13, the angel says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. At, At first glance, I read that and go, isn't that nice? But in a way, the more I think of it, I think maybe it's kind of like a slap in the face to Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. My prayer has been heard. That prayer left the station a long time ago. Zechariah is probably going, I haven't prayed that prayer for years. I gave up hope because God was silent. I haven't prayed that prayer. Look at me. Look at my wife. We're too old and she's barren. I haven't prayed that prayer for a long time. It's long past gone. Do you got a prayer like that? A petition of God that you've prayed and prayed and prayed. And you got to a point where you just don't pray it any longer. That if Gabriel himself appeared to you tonight at your bedside and said, the Lord has heard your prayer, maybe you wouldn't even believe Gabriel. You see, we can't be too hard on Zechariah because unfortunately devout people can become disappointed people and can become doubtful, disbelieving 
people. And so what does God do with this devout, disappointed, disbelieving priest? Let's read 19 through 25. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to him. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What did God do to Zechariah? Zechariah just couldn't believe what Gabriel had to say. And so God struck Zechariah silent, a mute. This devout, disappointed, disbelieving priest became dumb, and he couldn't speak. And my guess is this had to be really hard on Zechariah for a number of reasons. First of all, my guess is he was kind of a talkative person. Uh, he was a religious professional. I'm sure he loved the sound of his voice. I'm sure he felt that every moment was a teaching moment. How could the world spin properly without him having a say? And yet now he's struck and silent. Poor Zachariah, he didn't want to screw up, did he? He wanted to make sure he did everything right. They're waiting for his word from the Lord and his blessing. Yeah, Zechariah is in the holy place and he's, he's now silent. He can't talk and he stumbles out of the temple. And they're waiting for him to say something and all he can do is motion with his hands and they, they think he saw a vision and I'm going, well, why? Zechariah, grab a, whatever they, a slate or paper and pen that hasn't been created yet and, and explain to them what had happened. And I thought of that. Why didn't he do that? And I thought, what was he going to tell them? They're waiting for a word from the Lord. He comes out looking like he's a little bit crazy and he writes down, we're having a baby. I don't think it would go over the way he might have hoped it might go over and he didn't believe it anyways. Boy, he didn't want to screw things up. But you know, the, the, the greatest twist in the story has to be that for 400 years, God has been silent. And now Zechariah is silent. God gives Zechariah the opportunity not to talk, but to listen. To contemplate all that Gabriel has told him. To think about the prophecies that he knew. To think of Malachi's prophecy. You know, I sometimes think that the greatest gift that God can give us in our seasons of doubt and disbelief is the opportunity to come before him in silence and listen. I've read of 
speakers who have advertised that this coming Sunday they were going to be preaching on being silent before God. And they've actually got up and stood at the pulpit and said, this morning we are going to learn about being silent before God. And that's the last word for 30 minutes as he stood before the congregation and let them learn what it was like to be silent before God. I'm not going to do that this morning. But there's been times in my life where I've been doubting, where, where, I'm, where I'm wanting to hear from God and I'm not, and, and I'm disbelieving certain things. And, and often it's at that season in my life I get an opportunity to go somewhere, and I think of family camp up at Joy Bible Camp. And I go there, I'm not the speaker, I'm not in leadership, I got nothing to do with what's going on. I have no say in anything. And I can sit and I can listen to the speaker for the week, and I can, I can get really cynical at the beginning. And think, okay, I can't believe I'm going to listen to this person for a week. They're not, they're not as good as the speakers at Auburn. Cynical. Doubting, but it never fails. As I sit in silence, the speaker causes me to see the beauty of God and lifts Jesus up before my eyes, and I realize how thankful I am for those times of muteness where it's not me speaking, I'm just sitting and I'm listening, and God speaks to me. And maybe it's that season of silence that some of you are needing this Christmas season. Yes, Christmas is coming. Today is hard to believe is the first Sunday of Advent where we, we start to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. But it's a time when we can really be cynical. Because we know the things that are coming. Relatives are coming. Extended family is coming. Children are going to be off school. Children who are away at school are going to be coming. Requests for presents, bills for presents, all of these things are coming. And we can be cynical. We can joke about those kind of things. But let's be serious. How many of us really expect that God is going to show up at our Christmas this time of year? And yet in Zechariah's story, we're reminded that when we find ourselves in these seasons of of doubt, the best thing we can do is come before God and be silent and listen. Zechariah had nine months to be silent. Nine months to go over and over and over what Gabriel had told him. To ponder what it meant that his son was going to be a prophet, that his son was going to, to uh, demonstrate that God is gracious, that his son was going to proclaim the coming of the Son of God who would save people from their sins. He got to reflect on all the scriptures and prophecies that he knew that he was seeing being fulfilled right before his eyes. And maybe for some of us in these weeks coming up to Christmas, Maybe we need to do a whole lot less talking. And we need to listen. We need to ponder on this person named Jesus who came and and who is coming again. 
We need to reflect on the scriptures that, that are often part of our Advent celebration here. And maybe at home we do our own personal Advent. We ponder on the scriptures that, that tell us about the coming of a Savior. We ponder and reflect on the scriptures that tell us the Christmas narrative and what the incarnation means to us. And maybe if we do that, we'd find Something happens to our cynicism and to our doubt and to our disbelief. Look what, look what happens to Zechariah and turn to the end of, of the chapter. And, and let me just read what Zechariah has to say. Something happened. Something miraculous has changed in this devout, disappointed, doubtful, and disbelieving prophet. Way down at verse 67, it says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This once doubt-filled prophet has his mouth open. He is able to speak. His son has been born. And what we hear from him is not a declaration of doubt, but it's a declaration of faith. He has seen and experienced the grace of God, the splendor of the Lord. He understands that God is fulfilling what he said he would do. His plan is coming into place. Yeah, I think some of us are coming into this Christmas season And our hearts are filled with disappointment and maybe doubt and disbelief. And if Zechariah was here this morning, he would say to you, stop talking. Come before your Lord and God in silence and listen. Listen for his grace. Get into his word. Ponder the coming of Jesus and what it means. And I believe that God will speak to you and show you his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. Our problems aren't all going to come to an end, but we will know that we have a God who cares for us and who will never leave us and will never let us down and has provided us salvation and given us a hope beyond all hopes. So join me, because this was for me. And be silent before our God this Christmas season. Daryl.